Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to episode 63 of What Most People Think. Can you hear that? The music is back. The music, the lockdown and music is back. Because obviously we're in lockdown now and everyone is fully respecting that lockdown. To the exact same degree that we respected the original lockdown and no one is taking liberties here and there. But a few people asked for that uh, to come back and, and here it is. And uh, Joe Biden is the new president of the USA and there was this brief period where people said, you know what? We should respect democratic outcomes, and <clears throat> anybody that voted leave thought, "Oh wow, that's that, that's good that you've uh, you've come round to that way of thinking." Because I sort of seem to remember a, a four and a half year fucking hissy fit. <laughs> oh no, no, no! I think it's terrible that people are disputing. Oh, we're going to get round to talking about this. And just on that note, uh, thanks for all the feedback uh, regarding the Eric McElroy episode. Loader, you loved it. A couple of people felt I gave Eric an easy ride, and the truth was at that point. It was clear that Trump was going to lose. I, I hate bad losers, and I was just, I was just a bit fed up with him, you know. And then what happened was over the next few days, you just saw this parade of democratic hypocrisy, which we're going to get into. We do have a guest today. We're going to do a bit on the reaction to the Biden election and a few political bits before we get into that. Um, thanks to everybody buying the book. Uh, thanks to everybody that's pre-ordered it so far. I mean, it did well. It did okay. I mean, they said it did pretty well. Pretty well is always one of those, is uh, pretty well? Is that good? Um, look, if, if you're one of those people where the Patreon isn't for you, uh, you know, a monthly commitment or the live dates aren't really your thing, then if you could do me a solid and go on either on Amazon and buy it, which is probably the most helpful, but understand some people uh, aren't, you know, don't want to give more money for fucking Jeff Bezos to sort of buy another island <laughs> and invent a new sex robot. So uh, I think you can get it on Waterstones as well, you know, and it's, it's just really helpful if people buy it up front. And it's got, you know, it's a memoir as well, but it's got stuff in about, you know, my experience of working in uh, television and comedy. And it's also got a, a, an account of the first time I was on Question Time and, and the real story of what happened with me and Diane Abbott when we got into a bit of beef. Uh, that day. So it'll be interesting once that goes out. Uh, just welcome to new £10 patrons, uh, Matt Packett. Matt Packett, is he like? Do you like the gear, Matt? Is that the thing? Matt, he's always on the packet. Oh, Matt, Matty Packett over there. Or is it that you are packed downstairs? I don't know, man. But welcome, thank you for becoming a new patron, uh, Kate. Uh, Kate, I couldn't remember if you didn't want me to say your surname because you're probably one of these people who works in one of these woke institutions where you'll be dragged through the streets if you like me, like uh, like Queen Cersei in Game of Thrones. Shame, shame. Uh, a delayed hellos as well we're getting through a backlog of these Uh, if you feel that you're a patron and i haven't said hello to you um delayed hellos to ian andrew tulip and paul millam andrew tulip that is uh that's a beautiful name andrew (laughs) 
<laughs> Andrew Tulip, it's just, uh, there's such a contrast going there, Andrew. Andrew's like one of the most solid everyman names, and Tulip, what a contradiction you are, Andrew. I bet women find you eternally fascinating. Um, if you, yeah, you can either, and it, it, by the way, if anything comes up in this show that you want to come back to me on, you can write to me on email, whatmostpeoplethinkuk at gmail.com. With the letters, I love talking about political stuff. One thing I really love is talking about other people's problems, right? My old man used to be like that. He used to, he, one of his favourite programmes was Jeremy Kyle. And I just think it was just straight up schadenfreude. He loves seeing these toothless fucks come in and ruin their lives through bad decisions. And it just made him feel better about his own. Um, I miss Jeremy Kyle. I have no idea what those people are getting up to now. Are they having to pay for their own all-important DNA tests? See? See these liberals, what they do is they take a show off now. Now who's paying for those? Those, those people from fucking Great Yarmouth are out of pocket. I'll never sell tickets in Great Yarmouth again. Uh, Cuss count from last week. David Domain is back in the hot seat. He's doing okay and he's he's on fire. Um, one arse, one batshit, six fucks, one fucks. That's always difficult to express that. Six fuck, one fucks. 13 fuckings, two piss, one prick, one pricks, four shits, one shit storm, one shit in. Get the impression I was a bit bound up last week, or or, or the contrary. That's 0.5 uh, swears a minute with a guest. I mean, Eric's such a nice guy. I mean, Eric did two swears, and for a kind of centrist Democrat like Eric, he I think he already probably had to go and sort of say a few prayers to Obama uh, <laughs> after that. Um, today we've got coming up in the show. You know, I like to talk to people from the, the other side of the fence, um, but also like to talk to people from my side of the fence. And I think you'll appreciate today's guest coming back to the show for a second appearance is uh, Dominic Frisbee. I was going to say Dominic Cummins. <laughs> that would be a fucking guess, wouldn't it? You know, but Dominic Frisbee, who probably arguably, um, you know, knows a bit more about the economy than Dominic Cummins. Uh, I want to um, find out from Dominic Frisbee, you know, a committed uh, libertarian, a a huge lockdown sceptic. I just want to sort of pick his brain and find out, you know, A, what he thinks about what's happening and uh, uh, B, you know, what's going to happen, what are going to be the impact of these decisions that we've taken. He was... Dom, he was one of the guys that in the last financial crisis was telling everybody to buy gold and he was right about that. So he's got a track record of being right about things. Um, We're going to, as I say, just have a little sort of catch up on the US presidential outcome and what's going on there. And just a quick thank you and a fuck you really before I get into it. Thank you. Uh, I had a roast dinner delivered to my house on Sunday. As I'm thinking back on it now, I'm sort of thinking back on it as a, as a really gratifying section encounter. You can hear the way that I've slowed down a little bit and just reflecting. I'll put it this way. The pigs in blanket was a full-size sausage with a full rasher of bacon around it. I don't think I need to say anymore. And, um, oh my God, I, the problem is with these sort of takeaway options now. Places are doing takeaway that didn't before and we're going to become like them. We're just going to get fatter. That's the thing. At a point in our history where we could finally lose weight, just going to get fatter. And the next uh, and the next coronavirus, uh, we won't have any money and it would, just, it would just rip through. Anybody that could be winched out of their house, you're done. Uh, and and a, and a fuck you to the people that are saying that they still don't. Now, now whether or not you're anti-vaccine or whether you've got and I think it's reasonable to have some reservations about an vaccine vaccine that's being developed this quickly I don't think that makes you tinfoil hat brigade but certainly there are people you know the risk averse people online that are saying that they don't want to ease lockdown after a vaccine until it's 99.9% effective well let me tell you if that is your is that is your threshold for efficacy, right? Then don't look at the back of a condom packet. 
I'll tell you something, they, they are not 99.9%. Look, if there's a vaccine, whatever it takes, the truth is with the vaccine, what a lot of people will be thinking is, I really hope, yeah, that's great news, man. I'm really, really excited for other people to try that vaccine first. <laughs> I'm really excited for 60% of people in the population who aren't me to do that and get us up to herd immunity. Okay, so we had the US presidential thing and they called it, the networks called it for Joe Biden. It is slightly odd to understand from a British perspective that TV companies, I mean, it's the most American thing in the world, isn't it? Who decides the outcome of the election? TV companies. Is there a chance that they could have just dragged it out because they were doing amazing ratings on their news networks? Maybe, maybe. But the thing was, right, because Biden ultimately, you know, if you transpose this political character, but he's essentially like a one nation Tory, isn't he? There's that mistake that we think. We think Democrats are of the left. The American left is different to the British left. So I kind of thought, you know what? All right. Joe Biden's won. You know, I did. I did want to see just how salty the liberal tears would be if Donald Trump won. I mean, that is the problem with these things. I do have a, a sort of inner troll that just wanted to know, man. <laughs> It's like no deal Brexit. I'm like, what would happen? <laughs> like an experiment. Um, but, you know, I thought, look, there's some people I know that are lefties that feel like they haven't had a win electorally. I was like, ah, oh, you know, it's, it's almost like Liverpool fans winning the league, wasn't it? You thought, well, oh, maybe they've deserved it. And then after about five minutes of gloating, you're like, you know what? Fuck them. Another 29 years, whatever it is. And, you know, it was just some interesting outcomes, wasn't it? Um, first up was that there was no violence at all. There was no civil unrest from the Trump side. And and I think this is something that the left, particularly in the US and here, have got to own, is that whenever it kicks off, it's them, man. <laughs> like, it's always them. Now, I don't deny that, you know, if you've got kind of like far-right agitators, they're probably the solo guy that, you know, walks into a shopping mall with a fucking Uzi. But, you know, in terms of like mass protest, burning shit, throwing stuff, it's always the left, isn't it? It's always the left and the hypocrisy when they're telling Trump to get on your big boy pants. You know, would they have gotten their big boy pants if Trump had won again? There'd have been more kind of Russia, or they wouldn't have been able to say it was Russia this time. They would have said it was fucking North Korea or Saturn or something. And it was so hard to hear all that big boy pants stuff because, you know, after the referendum, like I said earlier, there were, you know, this idea that Russia swung the election and, that it, you know, there was no evidence for that. There was never any concrete evidence for that. I do think... We do run a risk with Russia of giving them way too much fucking credit. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Putin must love it. We're like, ah, oh, yes, the grand chess master Putin strikes again. He's just sitting there. Do you know what I mean? All he's got is like 200 Twitter accounts, just bots, post, shit posting. And we're like, ah, Putin strikes again. A wonderful checkmate, my friend. Um, but yeah, no concrete evidence. And the Cambridge Analytica scandal came down after years and people like Carol Cadvola, whatever the fuck it is, came down to nothing there's no there was no proof right there's no proof that this influenced anything right and i just found it i found it a bit embarrassing as well you know like the brits that were overly engaged in the process you know they were just like i'm just oh my god i'm just so happy oh you know fair enough if you've got american relatives or you know you live and work there i can understand it's a slightly different thing but if you're just like vicariously trying to make it about you you know I just, you know, photos of you like popping the Prosecco because <laughs> Biden won. Yeah, this guy who, let's be honest, right, at the beginning of the campaign, all the lefties wanted like Elizabeth Warren, didn't they? They wanted all Bernie Sanders. And like Biden was like, you know, the creepy guy with a sexual harassment case uh, hanging over him. He sniffs girls' hair. 
you know, he's old, he's a bit fucking senile and doddery. He was not a great candidate, but then this thing happens where people want to feel something and then they suddenly decide, like, Bob Biden is this, this herald of this new golden age of liberalism and progressivism. Well, let me tell you, like, his biggest problem, him and Kamala Harris, because apparently Brits aren't saying it right, we've got Kamala, Kamala Harris, Kamala, it says Kamala, for fuck's sake. Kamala Harris, right, is that she was a very strict... Uh, she was a very strict presence within the world of prosecution. It's a bit, a bit similar to Keir Starmer. So, like, she's not popular among uh, the American left. But, oh, no, Kamala, Biden-Harris is the new ticket. Biden just, thank God, finally the sun has come up over the world again. I just thought it's embarrassing. Like, it's like someone crying at someone else's wedding when you're just a plus one, you know? Like, you just, <laughs> like you've just been dating them two weeks and you just managed to get the invite and you're just there, just in floods of tears, you know, catching the bouquet, you know? Like, <laughs> when they're cutting the cake, you're the first one, you're the first one on the dance floor for the dance. Hey! You know, it's just not about you. It's not about you. And then we had a couple of the press, um, a couple of the press, they saw the, the fireworks, obviously for fireworks. <laughs> And a couple of the American news agencies were going, oh, my God, there's fireworks in London for Biden. I mean, the absolute American narcissism that it takes to draw that conclusion. You know what I mean? I Don't get me wrong. There were plenty of metropolitan liberals popping the prosy, but they but I meant Prosecco by that. I don't mean <laughs> I don't mean that loads of liberals saw Biden win and then just got a cool girl around and say, yeah, let's fuck. The thing about Trump, right, is he's such an idiot because he was predicted to lose this election by a landslide, and actually he did well. You know, it was a commendable effort. You know, he got he got the second like like a record number of, of votes for a, a, a losing president. You know, that's the problem for him is just the word loser. Um, you know, and he increased the Republican vote among minorities. Right? No, no one seems to want to deal with that fact. Twenty percent of black men voted for Trump. You know, third of Latinos. And Hispanics voted for Trump. And then people mean again, you just can't lump Latinos and Hispanics together. What? Well, you're just saying that because you just heard that on CNN. Jesus Christ, the amount of people just fucking parroting shit that they just heard like they've become an expert. And then the thing about Pennsylvania is it's always been the key battlegrounds. Oh, for fuck's sake. You're not, you're not some anchor, do you know what I mean, on CNBC. Just shut up, get drunk, watch the news like the rest of us. But you can't ignore that number. Right. The problem that Trump made is that he evidently there were people from some you know so-called minorities that fell down on his side. The way that he's acted since means that from the Republican point of view, you might lose that vote forever because they might just feel, you know, it was maybe for some of them perhaps a reluctant choice. And, uh, you know, they, they just lent that way in the end. And now they're getting all this stick for it. But, they, but again, the problem with the left is the same as here. If you want to make somebody a Republican for life... Just tell them that they're uh, they're a traitor. Do you know what I mean? Just go, I can't believe you voted for Donald Trump. You're not black. You're, you're not Hispanic. And it, it takes me as a white man to tell you. What most people think. And some of it bled into, you know, the Brexit because there was this uh, bill passed this week which formally ended freedom of movement. And pretty Patel, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure. I think she does love trolling the Remainers. You know, she did a fairly celebratory... Um, tweet about about this fact. Now it wouldn't be my style to do that because I know that freedom of movement is is you know, it's a very important thing for the Remainers. You know, they they make out like it's all about you know future generations being able to live, love, and work in the, in Europe. And you go, I mean, you can still do that, right? Whisper it quietly, but 
I mean, I don't know about you, but over the course of our membership of the EU, I don't remember massive amounts of living, loving and working. You know, I think people did the odd job over there. I mean, let's be honest. One of the main benefits was in terms of holidays. No one wants to fucking admit this, do they? I, I don't, I'm not looking forward to standing passport control. I, you know, I'm going to probably, yeah, probably the only time that I'll really reconsider my Brexit vote is when I got my wife and my screaming kid with me. Screaming kid, he never screamed. My, but a kid that wants to be entertained, you know, standing in passport control for two hours. Only then will I think, the fucking Russians, man. <laughs> they did this. But, but that is, it's a small portion of life, isn't it? Do they realise that perhaps, you know, certainly outside of metropolitan areas, the perception that Remainers were governed by slightly, you know, self-interested things isn't helped by them, you know, going, well, great, great. Now now I can't go and, you know, spend three months working as an attaché in Lisbon. <laughs> um, so I did, I did a tweet, basically. Uh, very, a very good Brexit commentator called Anan Mendon. Menon, sorry. Um, he pointed out, you know, the way that soft Brexit was lost. Now, now for me, this might be unfashionable among Brexiteers. May's deal could have sort of lived with it. Maybe if it was tweaked a bit, but I could have roughly lived with it. And it was, and I made the point that it was, you know, the opponents, Sturgeon, Starmer, Corbyn, even May to an extent itself, they sort of had soft Brexit in their grasp, didn't they? I mean, maybe not so much May, because it was the opposition voting against it time and time again. And they had the, it was like a game show. They had soft Brexit, which was four grand. Right, that's safe. Okay, you got the four grand, you've won that. You could go away now. No one could take that away from you. But... You could gamble for the speedboat. And, they can, and the speedboat was like second referendum or revoke. And then all the remains going, gamble, gamble, gamble. And then eventually, like, yeah, 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 we are going to go for the uh, speedboat, Jim. And then they got fuck all, didn't they? They got, <laughs> they went away with their BFH, their bus fare on. Anyway, listen, enough of the political chat. Let's go on to this week's guest, which is the fantastic Dominic Frisbee. Just a quick note to the sound nerds. I am aware that in this interview, uh, Dominic Frisbee sounds significantly louder and better than I do. Um, I did have another channel recorded of it, but when I started trying to mix around with it, it just ended up all sounding bad. So yeah, look, he's the guest. It's not necessarily a problem. He's got a great voice. He's got a great voice. And yeah, I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it that his mic is bigger and uh, frankly wider than mine. And in no way do I have microphone envy. Making his second appearance on what most people think it is Dominic Frisbee. Welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Jeff. What I suppose the burning question I've got of you, knowing your politics and where you come from, is this. Is, as a libertarian, small state advocate of low tax, how has 2020 been for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, I live my life in partial lockdown anyway. So from my own personal point of view, it's not been that different. But I mean, you know, it's been really hard for my kids. Um, my daughter was in her first year of A-levels and her school just sort of went up its own backside. And actually, it just basically ground to a halt in about March of mm. last year, uh, or sorry, earlier this year. But she actually got a job in a deli. <laughs> really? In her first year of A-levels. And, and because the deli was obviously an essential essential service as delis are she was going to work every day so she actually had quite a good first lockdown my son's just gone to bristol university and um like he's downstairs i can hear him downstairs now he's come home and he's just doing all his courses on um 
you know, over the internet. And you're just like, well, what's the, he may as well just go to the open university and save himself all that money. Cost an mm. absolute fortune. So that's made me a, a little bit cross. In my tax book, the, there's, I talk about three ways by which you're taxed. First, there's, you know, direct and indirect taxes, things like income tax and VAT and all that kind of stuff. But you're also taxed by inflation. You, when they debase currency, when they print money, they debase money and they extract value from you that way. And the third way by which you're taxed is debt, which is effectively a tax on the future. And we've already seen huge amounts of debt and debasement of money with all the money printing that's, go, that's gone on this year. The the, the the third one that hasn't come yet, but that is coming, is higher taxes. They're already talking about higher capital gains tax. The one I read today <laughs> is that you're going to have to pay a 5% surcharge for if you work from home, a 5% levy if you work from home. <laughs> so, it I mean, sounds that's... like you're laughing, but there is a sort of, you know, there's a, there's a hysteria in there, just a, a mild hysteria in there. <laughs> well, let's talk a bit about the other stuff, because obviously I do the odd bit on Times Radio, but every once in a while they'll hear a voice of a person who's actually built for broadcasting, <laughs> which is you, you do, you do, you've always done the voiceover for a long time now. And I have, but do you know what, Jeff? In fact, I did you about two weeks ago, Jeff Norcott standing in for Hugo Rifkind on, is it it's Hugo Rifkind? Giles standing? Corrin, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Jeff Norcott standing in for Giles Corrin on Times Radio. I did that about a week or two ago. I, I meant to email you afterwards. <laughs> They, 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 forgot, they forgot to use it. They're still using it. I think they enjoyed trolling me. With oh, uh, why did they call you Giles Giles Corrin on there? Yeah, yeah. I, I think. That me, <laughs> I me promise say, you, I've done the I've done the link. Well, that's exciting if I ever get asked back. Um, but last time, <laughs> last time I was subbed out for Kathy Newman. So you know, like it looked like the the election result was going to get called. Um, yeah. So I was doing a two-hour show, and frankly, it was fucking weird that I was on air. Like this guy standing in, who's a stand-up, and it was really getting close to Pennsylvania getting called. Kathy Newman was already in the office, and then so they came in in one of the breaks and went, "You know, like with cricketers, when they say, all right, have a blow, son, go down a fine leg.'" <laughs> <laughs> There was the logical part of me that absolutely saw that it was the right decision, but there was, you know, it's like as comics. I was, I, yeah. I, was, I was, I was a little bit crushed. I mean, in terms of standing, I think I can just about get in a way. We're standing for Giles Corrin. I think Hugo Rifkin might be a bit much of a leap for his usual listenership. You know, it's a, it's right. a, it's a screeching handbrake turn from, from Hugo Rifkin. <laughs> to me. I've got to confess, Jeff, I don't even know who he is. Oh. I just heard his name. I know he's on Radio 4 all the time. But he's, he? he's, a, he's, a, he's a respected critic, um, it's fair to say. And, and, and should be said, a, a respected critic that wasn't necessarily a fan of my documentary last year, but I'm so over it. That's the good thing. So over it. Um, Did he slag he, you off? He really hated it. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> you want to know, right? Obviously, this isn't a chat, but do you want to know a funny story? So I, um, so I had got... Uh, a slating of Hugo Riffey. You, sh you should read it afterwards. I mean, he really goes for it. And then, um, and then afterwards, I was speaking to the PR guy, uh, you know, Julian Hall, right? Yeah. He said to me, um, we were talking about his review of us, and it was a week later, and I said, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, it's one person's view. It got five stars in the FT, did well ratings. I I'm, I'm being philosophical. And he goes, yeah. And the thing about Camilla, he, I was like, whoa, 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 what do you mean Camilla? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, I was talking about Hugo's review. Did Camilla... Long review as well, and she'd had a pop as well. <laughs> Have you been able to stay, you know, busy? Obviously, voiceover is something you can do from home. I mean, well, it is. It's, um, I've built a home studio, and I have to say, it's sounding really good. I've got this fantastic microphone, but 
the voiceover industry generally is shrinking anyway. Um, because even though there are more voices than ever before, there are also more people doing them. So there's loads of competition. Um, there's that bloody website Fiverr where people are doing voiceovers on Fiverr for a Fiverr, which like does my head in. What is the point? And um, the other place we're getting competition is is there's more and more automated voiceovers being used. So, you know, once upon a time, somebody actually voiced the speaking clock and the, uh, you know, the, yeah. the credit card number that you phone up when you're parking your car and shit like that. That was actually voice and, 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 and you know, the Google Maps once upon a time. You know, so there's automated voice is nicking a lot of stuff. And then um, celebrities are coming down the food chain after work. So that's a bit like what's happening with gigs after the, the first lockdown is all the celebrities, were, you know, the VIP comics were so desperate for work. They all went back into the regular comedy nights and yeah, pushed yeah. the... Um, so, so are you saying that Vernon K is now in the market to do the one for Morrison's? Is that where we're going? That's with? that's 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 sort of thing. I, he's I think he's been in the Morrison's is a good gig. <laughs> no, you, <laughs> you get not. a supermarket; it's a good gig. But for sure, all those guys are, are coming down the food chain. And then there's also this pressure to use more female voices, more ethnic voices, all that kind of thing. So all in all, it's it's made the struggle for we we struggling middle aged. Uh, RP speaking Englishman a lot harder than it was a few years ago. Well, can you? And I'm going to ask you a detail now, which I often ask impressionists. But could you give them people an example of if you were doing full on voiceover style, like if you say you're listening to what most people think of Jeff Norcott, just to let people know the difference. Um, well, my I did uh, what? Um, I mean, I'm basically uh, here, trying here, to get here we go. Fucking jingle, yeah, yeah. Think. I'll do a jingle. Just what most people think with Jeff Norcott. Yeah. You're listening. Well, how do you want it? Do you want it no, like it's Radio 4 or do you want it? No, you, want it like you started that? it there. That, that's great. You're listening to What Most People Think with Jeff Norcott. I'm, I'm loving like the, this chat. I feel like I've got to pick your brain about a couple of things. though. While sure, I've, go ahead. Go ahead. You Just sort of cycling back to something you said at the beginning of the interview, you spoke about the stages in which people are taxed. Now, you spoke about inflation. I think I got what you, what you meant by that. So when currencies get devalued um so things just cost more and then all all the taxes that are, are kind of baked into a price the government get a slice of that is that essentially the point you're making yeah the 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 inflation tax if you think how much more things sorry how much less things cost um in the 1980s and 90s when you were a kid how much more how much cheaper a house was mm-hmm. how much cheaper a gallon of petrol was how much cheaper uh you know um your council tax was all these kind of things um the reason they've gone up in price is that more money has been created um and so the value of money has been debased and that has pushed up the cost of these things. Now, certain things have gone up in price more than other things. Um, the cost of a house has gone up dramatically, whereas, for example, the cost of a computer uh, hasn't. And that's because there's so much competition. There's a combination of there's lots of people competing to make computers, which drives the price down. There's also um, the construction of computers has got better. Um, computer manufacturers got more productive. And so that also drives the cost down. 
So certain things, food, the cost of food isn't as, uh, it's gone up a little bit, but it hasn't gone up, as I say, by the amount that a house has gone up. So different things um, go up in price by different amounts. Um, but broadly speaking, the cost of living in 2020 is much higher than it was in 2010, which is higher than it was in 2000, which is higher than it was in 1990. And this is because money is constantly printed, it's created. And as a result of all this money creation, money is debased. If you remember when you were at school, you will have had to study Weimar Germany yeah. when uh, the German authorities um, printed all that money to cover their debts. The same thing is happening, but on a much more drawn out basis. Mm -hmm. It's not, it, you don't notice it in the same way that, you know, Zimbabweans noticed it in the in the late noughties under Robert Mugabe. But that same process happens. And it's a means by which governments lower, lessen their obligations. They devalue their debt. And they do that by debasing currency. And, you know, the, the means to do it today are different to how they were, you know, 2000 years ago. Today, it's done by quantitative easing, borrowing, suppressing interest rates in in Roman times, they did it by chipping coins. Mm. Do you remember that? They would lower the amount of gold and silver in a coin. They would, they would chip the coins. Um, they would use uh, impure alloys. These kind of things went on. But the intention is exactly the same, debasing money, devaluing money. And you, and you are against that, I'm taking, especially with quantitative easing. You're not sure. Oh, it's theft. Yeah. It's out and outright theft. It's fraud. And, and it's theft because of the, the long-term impact of that? Because or... you're on a salary and you're paid a certain amount to do this job and then you, that, you're paid that money and you, that money should keep its purchasing power. But if the government are constantly debasing it, they're debasing your earnings without telling you. you it's not are... sanctioned. It's all subterfuge. Um, John Keynes described the process. He said not one in a million is able to diagnose it. It's awful. And, and the debasement of currency, in my opinion, is the single greatest cause of economic inequality because it suits the rich. It suits people who own assets and it, it robs from the people who rely on their salaries, ordinary workers. And you want, you want to understand why the young can't afford a house or why the, the gap between you and Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos seems to get bigger and bigger every year. Look no further than money printing. There is, but, you know, there's the idea that throughout this pandemic and the things that government have done, you know, it, it ostensibly, certainly according to them, to prop up the economy, have let a sort of left-wing genie out of the bottle, certainly a socialist genie out of the bottle. The idea, it's often said, isn't it, well, see, the magic money tree was there. They can do this. They can just print money. There have been people talking about this idea about universal basic income. Is it been so long since we've had runaway inflation that people don't understand how damaging that is you know I'm, I'm talking like getting on for double digits because there certainly was some in the mid part of the last decade but i remember as a kid literally my mum going back to the shop the following week and going how much because it had gone up within a week yeah well that that was the 1970s and i remember it we had runaway inflation in the oil price and it was just chaotic and that was partly a consequence of the United States coming off the gold standard in 1971. Mm. And gold limit, gold put a, a break on inflation, basically. Um, 
one of the reasons you don't notice it today is partly because, as I described, this um, increased productivity uh, means that the cost of many items doesn't increase by that much food and computers and this kind of thing. But another reason we don't notice it is that government measures of inflation are inherently fraudulent. They only measure the price. They don't include house prices in their measures of inflation. Mm. Now, you know, they, uh, they, they, it's only really a certain basket of consumer goods that they uh, keep in their measures. And it's only about 13% of newly created money goes into the computer uh, goods that are measured, um, that are included in government measures, but in the Bank of England's measures. Um, most newly created money either goes into real estate or it goes into the financial markets. And people look at the stock markets and go, how can the value of global stock markets be at an all-time high when we're a year into a global pandemic? How can that be possible? Um, and yet that is what's happened this week. The value of global stock markets has hit an all-time high. And the reason is, is because newly created goes, money goes into in financial assets, pushes up the prices of financial assets. It's great if you happen to own the financial assets in question. Most people don't except by their pensions. And so they get left behind. What most people think. What, you know, this idea of universal basic income, it's kind of like a, a pet. Uh, of the of the hard left what is your take on on that idea and what would be the impact of it if it were to happen well i was sort of in two minds about it because there is quite a strong argument for universal basic income in that it simplifies welfare everyone is paid the same amount it's like flat rate taxes and so from that point of view i i, I approve of it because it it simplifies welfare or that was what it was purported to have done. But what we've done is, is we're sort of going to universal basic income via the back door of furlough and all these other means um, by which the government's bailing out the system. And it, that's not simplifying the system. It's making it even more complicated. It's creating more loopholes, more opportunities to commit fraud, more opportunities to game the system. So the, the way that we've been doing it, in my view, just makes it even worse. Do you, what did you think about furlough as an idea, the way it's been rolled out, the extent of it? Was it generous enough, not, not generous enough, too, too long, too short? What was your take? Well, as a libertarian, I favour the uh, sort of Swedish approach to COVID, which was to just uh, let individuals make up their own mind. Mm. And as actually, the Swedes did lock down, but of their own free will. The lockdown wasn't imposed on them by the government. Yeah. Somewhere like Argentina, the lockdown was imposed... Um, by the government and in, in a lot of countries like Argentina, Ireland's a bit similar. Laws are more of a guideline. Italy's like that as well. Laws yeah. are more of a guideline than an actual thing to be obeyed. Whereas in sort of Northern European, Anglo-Saxon kind of um, Protestant places, the law, no, the law isn't a guideline. The law is the law. Um, but and Argentina didn't lock down to the same, it had lockdown imposed on it, but in practice, people didn't lock down and had much higher rates of, of, in, of, in, of um, infection. But once the government imposed a lockdown, like, you know, comedy clubs was, for example, was a, a buoyant industry. So when the government forces them to lock down, then you know, the libertarian thing of you shouldn't take government money. Well, I don't think that actually applies because um, the government forced the lock, 
them to lock down so they have a right to 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 bail them out um but as soon as you give government this power to bail out the economy to print money to bail out the economy you are handing government too much power within a society and that is my biggest beef as a libertarian is that government is too powerful within a society i think that this gets lost sometimes about you know where libertarian instincts come from is what it does you know to the human condition one of my concerns about universal basic income it's just simply the, I think it's good for human beings to work, right? I think we're sort of built to work most of the week. I think that's probably the balance that we internally need. And once you take away that motivation, I mean, again, it was, it was similar with free school meals. Probably politically, it would have been easier to just roll it out. But parents feeding their own kids and having full responsibility for that is also quite an important part of the, the kind of contract between parent and child. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, self-respect it's good for somebody to go out and work. It's good for their self-respect, for their motivation, for everything. And if you're just sat at home doing nothing, being paid money to sit at home and do eat takeaways or whatever, it's not a good way to live your life. It really isn't. And, you know, the, the lesson of a lot of welfare, you know, in this country over the last hundred years is that welfare you know, welfare is supposed to be there to, to, it's supposed to be a safety net and it's supposed to help people out who are in need. But the evidence of welfare is that it traps people. Mm. And, and, you know, once you get these, this intergenerational uh, families on welfare, one generation to the next, and they're just stuck permanently and it's just not good for them. It's not, it's not good for their minds and souls. Um, so, yeah, I, I couldn't agree. It's good for you. I mean, how many kids are there at the moment just sat around doing nothing, wondering what to do with their lives? It's just not good for them. You, well, yeah, you I mean, need to go out and work. It's, yeah, it's disproportionately affected young. I mean, I sort of joked about it, but the, the psychological impact. Do you remember when schools went back to work, but furlough was still happening? Yeah. Think young boys go walking out the door where their old man was still on the couch in his cargo pants, watching The Mandalorian. It's, it's burned into the, the psyche of a generation. It's yeah. Just, I've got My youngest son. I've got Zoom meeting at 11. I've got stuff going on, mate. Don't worry about that. It really is not a good example. And, and it's it, on so many different levels, it's important to take responsibility and own your own life. And my one of my... Um, I've got one or two of these Bitcoin billionaire friends and I'm not kidding when I say billionaire, people have made shed loads of money. And one of them is this um, gay guy from uh, um, California, a bit like Peter Thiel, but he's not Peter Thiel. And he was, we message each other quite often and, and we help each other out. And he um, bought a bolt hole in New Zealand. And he was living in New Zealand uh, with his boyfriend and he kept showing me pictures of this magnificent house he built for himself. And then, you know, in January, he was just messaging me, get out of London. This virus is really serious. You've got to go. You've got to go. And I was going, ah, rubbish. It's just another SARS. It will pass. You don't get your knickers in your twist. You're being hysterical and all that kind of thing. But he proved he was proved right. And time and time again over the last 10 years, you know, he's had more foresight than me. But where he thinks we're going um, in the West is into a sort of society where everyone is in kind of 
like Butlins Club Med type holiday villages uh, where all the entertainment is provided living off UBI with VR headsets on. And that and that's where he thinks we're going. I mean, how did it like how does it make you feel? It's been a bit bit of a bugbear for me that, you know, even with talk of a, of a vaccine and we don't, we don't know what the efficacy of it will be in the long run. But people just seeing people savoring their own incarceration. I don't know if I'm, I'm going to it's going to take me a while to get over that. It's yeah, it was, I'm, there's this a few people have said this. I mean, some people like it. You know, some people genuinely like it. And there's a lot of human beings have this instinct to want to control other human beings. They don't like it. You know, if somebody is on a bicycle and they jump the traffic light and they're in a car, why should that guy be allowed to jump the traffic light? And I get why that would get you angry because you have to wait at the traffic light. But really, does it make any difference to you if the cyclist jumps the traffic light? No, we need more regulation on cyclists. So there's this instinct that people have to control each other. Nobody likes other people doing something particularly if they're breaking the law, but even if they're not breaking the law. And so what's the word? Med, the meddlers, the, the petty officers, all these kind of local police kind of Busy officials, bodies. they've yeah. all sort of come out and uh, out of, they've really come out of themselves over the lockdown and telling everyone else what to do. Okay, so just a quick hype here is five pound Patreon. He is just one this week. Dominic Brock, sorry, almost I'm fucking obsessed with Dominic's this week. James Brockbank, James Brockbank. I don't, I can't place that. That's I've never heard that. That just sounds like you fused two. So have you gone double barrel with a missus there? But you've taken out the hyphen because you don't want to be embarrassed. Like your name's James Brock. Her name's like Elizabeth Bank. And you're the Brockbanks. <laughs> anyway thank you for getting on board James there's stuff coming up listen I'm going to be looking at doing a new material gig uh, new material gig hey I'm going to be lucky at a new material gig in the voice of the Dolmio ads sometime in late November and it might be different from before because obviously I haven't got the the webinar hosting and stuff so it might be a bit more limited in terms of, of who can come but I'll have to look at which tiers can be part of that but that will be coming up in late November and yeah just again like I say the, the book uh, did I mention Waterstones? I think you can get it uh, from Waterstones. I mean, one of the things that I really enjoyed writing in the book was about what it felt like to be in that alternative election audience. Um, so on the show, rather, on Channel 4, the night of the 2019 election, to actually be there when they read out the exit poll and there was that audible gasp at a result that was, you know, pretty much within <laughs> within the margin of error. So I've tried to capture what it felt like to be behind enemy lines in the TV world on the night that Boris became... Uh, was elected Prime Minister. Uh, so there's plenty of stuff like that, which I think you'll enjoy. Anyway, let's get back to something else you enjoy, which is more chat with Dominic Frisbee. Two or three people, Piers Morgan and, and a couple of others, have posted this thing. If you refuse to take the vaccine, then you should not be allowed to use the NHS. Or you should not get be allowed to get any treatment for COVID on the NHS. This is a narrative, and and so that's like saying, um, if you smoke, yeah. then you shouldn't be able to get treatment for lung, lung cancer. Now, I can actually see that argument. Or if you don't, if you eat loads of food and you get really fat, then you shouldn't get treatment for diabetes or any other sort of obesity-related illness. You know, and there is a sort of argument for that. And 
one of the libertarian arguments in a funny kind of way is if we had no NHS, then it's more beholden on individuals to look after their own health because otherwise they've got to pay <laughs> higher costs of well, treating. But you know, that's a, but that's a different argument. But but you know, it's it's it, anyway. You're gone. You were about to say no, something. no. But I was going to say on that note about looking after your own body. I've long thought, what if we just had to nominate one bit of our body that we were fully responsible for? Like if it was just, I'd love as, a, as an experiment, if it was just one particular organ. And I, I just wonder whether we would be a bit more careful in and around that if we knew that the state were going to give us no assistance whatsoever if it went wrong. So whether it's the kidneys, the liver, the lung, you know, the heart, whether people would adjust their behaviours. Of course they would. For sure they would. Um, how, do we sound that... a bit? How fascist are we sounding right now? On the media? we are sounding really fascist. When I did my <laughs> tax show um, in 2016 in Edinburgh, we had this little bit of the show where we I did a, a an old school pub joke about or uh, you know old school formula jokes um, uh, about air, e or economic themed. Uh, and tax themed old school jokes. So there was one that was um, an Englishman, Irishman, a Scotsman walk into a pub, except they don't walk into a pub uh, because it's not a pub anymore, it's luxury flats. And the Englishman, Irishman, and Scotsman don't walk in uh, because the flats have been sold to rich overseas buyers and the, they've been priced out. And so that was, you know, that's one example. But what, another one we did was Your Mama's So Fat. Yeah, your mum is so fat that you have to pay the health consequences of this through general taxation, even though it's her responsibility. <laughs> um, I just want to get your take on the Brexit hypocrisy uh, that was evidenced through the US presidential election. You know, suddenly the democracy became sacrosanct again. You know, Donald Trump. <laughs> how, how did you, you feel about that, given... The, the four and a half year hissy fit. I, I'm aware that they aren't directly 100% comparable, but you can't deny that there's some sort of Venn diagram there. There is, it, everyone uses whatever arguments are available to, in this sort of political hysteria that the world is going through, everyone uses whatever arguments are available to them uh, in any given moment to suit their political ends, even if it's the total opposite of what they argued two or three years you know, they're just, it's a land grab. It's like a, it's like a war. And if the, this gun has been declared illegal, but then suddenly this gun standing in front of you and you can shoot the enemy with it, you'll take that gun. Of course, yeah. it was totally hypo hypocritical. Um, the irony is probably Trump would have walked that election pre-COVID and it was COVID that, that did for him. Uh, it does look like the, the uh, Democrats have got up to all sorts of naughty shenanigans but even without them, I think they probably would have shaded it. I'm not sure. But but um, it has to be good for democracy that there is no fraudulent voting and that the game can't be rigged. If, if democracy is to function and people to, are to believe in it, then the system has to be transparent and open and not open to and not defraudable. And, you know, it's obvious that postal voting both in the uk and the us is a racket and it's a racket that the democrats <laughs> the left in the uk you know there was the peterborough by-election here yeah. wasn't there yeah. and it's it's a it's a racket that the left are currently mastering better than the right mm. um in 2012 and 2008 obama was praised for the way in which he used social media so cleverly 
And then in 2016, when Donald Trump used social media better than the Democrats did, then suddenly the whole Cambridge Analytica scandal came along and, <laughs> and you know, it, they're evil and Russia. we must stop this and we must need Russia and we need more censorship of Facebook. Um, you know, and my God almighty, did Facebook and Twitter clamp down on Donald Trump in this general election. And well, so mean, like the hypocrisies are so comprehensive. Oh my God. On, on the one hand, the, you know, there's the one about democratic fraud and, and, and meddling, but then on the other hand, the moment Biden Harris get in, people are saying, well, we need to shift um, our position to be more favorable. Even, you know, the current argument over the appointment of top Tory aides is, well, that's not very Biden Harris friendly without a, a woman amongst that group. You know, but not two weeks ago, the idea that we should have kind of uh, pivoted to be what Donald Trump wanted us to be, was an abhorrent thought, a disgusting thought, you know. And it seems that they can only perceive of a world whereby we're either sort of facing an America that we like or dislike or facing Europe. They can't seem to think of a world where we just do what we think is right and beneficial. I think this is why there's such a... why the silent majority is leaning towards... I'll say our worldview, but, you know, lean, moving away from this left-wing thing is that even though it's vocal and extremely aggressive, it's just riddled with hypocrisies and inconsistencies. You know, whatever, economically, socially, politically, wherever, whichever area you care to look, you'll find, you'll find hypocrisies and inconsistencies galore. And that's good for comedians. It is, because the, the thing that's making me laugh about the liberal left most... I'm not talking about the hard left here. I'm talking about the middle class, urban, metropolitan, liberal left. Is that the only thing they seem to be passionate about is continuity. And it's such an odd thing. <laughs> it's such an odd thing that they get really, they get a real horn for the idea of things carrying on more or less as they are. And it's, yeah. it's impossible to be rock and roll or rebellious or cool when your big thing is continuity. Yeah, I mean, all my mates are just like that. I take so much shit for voting Brexit off them. They were all sending when Biden won on my on our WhatsApp group. They were all yeah. sending champagne icons and things like this. And it was well, like, yeah, they were kind of mocking the the champagne socialist thing. I'm I'm just not sure. No, they weren't. They were they were sending each other champagne things like pop open the bubbly. Biden's won, hooray! The world is saved by by a, the world is saved from a president who, to my knowledge, in, at least in foreign policy, has been one of the most peaceful presidents abroad in yeah. terms of the fact that... You, it, what's the thing? If, if a, 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 I don't think the US president wins a second term if there isn't a war. As long as there's a war overseas, yeah. then the president wins a second term as one. I don't know if that's true, but that was a stat I was told. No, no, I can think immediately of examples both um, you know, here and across the pond of, of that. Um, yeah. I think that that is going to be a difficult thing for people because at some point we'd have to in soberly reflect on Donald Trump's foreign policy and go, it wasn't actually that bad. <laughs> and, and, and the irony about Biden is like, if you transpose him into British politics because of the differences in the, the spectrum of left and right here and there, he's pretty much a one nation Tory, right? I mean, he's not that far away from the left of the Conservative Party. Probably. I don't really know. I mean, he's just a, he's, he's a professional politician. He's been a politician all his life. He's sort of, yeah, I suppose maybe he's a sort of Ken Clarkey, Cameron. <laughs> yeah, of that's guy. perfect. That's a perfect <laughs> analogy. Just he's like Ken Clark without the hush puppies in the beer. You know, like how much people hate Boris, right? They, they yeah. hate him. People despise Brexit. And a lot of people hate the Tories. How is it, is it possible for those people to ever be objective? I mean, like I try to be, 
diverse in the news that I receive, but just the way, it's not that the government aren't fucking stuff up, right? Um, but it's the way that things are seized upon, week or week. I just wonder, if it's, like you talk about the silent majority, whether the public are picking up on that, the, the sheer relish with which every little story is picked the bones out of. No, I think there's, I, I don't think people can get over their hatred. I think there's 20, 25% maybe of the British population is basically socialist. An old girlfriend of mine is real uh, loony left, pro-Corbyn, uh, Oxford educated. She's a professor um, in a university, extremely bright. She's a, a doctor, actually. And um, just she's just so bright. And her loathing of Tories is pathological. And um, I used to say to her when the Brexit vote was happening, I used to go, you, why are you voting Remain? You don't even know if you vote Remain. You don't even particularly like the EU. Um, it's technocratic. It's corrupt. It stands for a lot of things you disagree with. You love Jeremy Corbyn. Corbyn's of the old Benite left. You know, that is your values. You should be voting leave. The only reason Corbyn didn't come out in favour of leave is because he was scared of losing the Remainers within his own party. And, you know... Her, she just thought Brexit was a Tory thing and her loathing of Tories was such that she could not consider voting for Brexit. And, and that loathing of Tories is, is being personified in, in Boris Johnson because he's the personification of Tories, but they really hate him because of the fact that he's funny and quite popular as well. And so... And also, I think that... I just don't think... They just hate... Talk, look at somebody like Owen Jones. He just hates Tories. On an individual basis, he'll meet Jacob Rees-Mogg and he'll do a really nice interview with him. And in his head, he probably thinks, oh, actually, Jacob Rees-Mogg was really nice. But just within about a week or two, you know, he'll get up the next day and he'll just go back to hating Tories. I just wanted to say about Boris Johnson, because I've really gone off him. Um, well, this would, you know what's really interesting? My last question to you is going to be, would you be, and I don't know what your voting record was. I don't like to presume from previous elections. I think I can maybe guess the last one, but if there was another election now, would you be able to vote Conservative again after what they've done? I've, I've actually only ever voted Conservative once in my life, Jeff. And that was in, would have been the election that Cameron won. So what was that, 2010, 2011? No, well, no, no. The when one he won with, the majority? Or when when he, he, no, when he won with Clegg. Oh, 2010, yeah. But that, that one, that's the only time I've ever voted Tory. And that's because um, I was living in uh, Wandsworth Tooting at the time and Sadiq Khan was our local um, MP and I couldn't stand him even then. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was one, the Tories stood a chance of um, winning. They were in the end, they were a couple of thousand votes off, but they stood a chance of winning that one. And and so that's the only time I've ever actually voted Tory. And usually the last three elections, I've just drawn a massive phallus on my ballot paper. Mm -hmm. I have taken the trouble to go in and draw the cock. Um, <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but yeah, um, so I would just, if I, I, the, in my opinion, the electoral system's broken. It, it, too many people get overlooked. The idea that there's choice is fraudulent. It's only a ever vote between Labour and Tory. They're only arguing about a couple of percentage of GDP. Actually, their policies, it's just, 
whoever occupies the middle best wins. Yeah. And, you know, I'd much favoured direct democracy where we vote on issues as they arise. And we're a long way from that. I, I, I thought it was possible. And, I, you know, I voted in the Brexit referendum because that was a referendum where actual change could be affected. And um, but normal general elections, I just think it's a sham. Uh, good, mate, it's so good to chat, man. It was a brilliant interview. I know the people listening to this are going to love it. Is there anything that I need to direct people uh, towards yours? Obviously, the, the song, you've got loads of stuff online. Anything in specific? Yeah, I tell you what, there's two things I'd like to plug. My book, Daylight Robbery, about the past, present and future of taxation has just come out in paper book back. It's the best book I've ever written. I'm incredibly proud of it. If you think of a zombie film, um, there's always patient zero is the trope of a zombie film. That is the where the virus started and the hero of the zombie film has to get to patient zero and either kill patient zero or patient zero will give him the antidote to save the world. In a society, our system of tax is our patient zero. If we're going to save the world, if we're going to fix society, we need to fix our system of tax. Everything stems from that. And so this is a, and hopefully this book expands on that idea by looking all the way through history and at the present and at the future. And it's, it's, a, it's a great read and I'm sure you'll love it. The other thing I wanted to Daylight plug is- Daylight Robbery, a, yeah. Daylight Robbery, it's called. Mm -hmm. Daylight Robbery comes from the window tax, that expression. Daylight Robbery comes through the window tax. So that phrase- Yeah. From an original taxation that was to do with windows. Yeah, you know, the window, the window tax came in after, um, after the glorious revolution. They got rid of the hearth tax, which the, in order to ingratiate the new monarchs, William and Mary, uh, with the newly conquered people. They got rid of the hearth tax, which was having a government inspector come in your house twice a year and count the number of fireplaces you had, <laughs> and then you'd have to pay a tax on that. It's like the license fee from the BBC bloke coming over <laughs> only twice a year. And the English hated it. And it was one of their main grievances when the um, glorious revolution came. And so they got rid of it. And then they found they'd run out of money and somebody came up with this idea of taxing windows because you could walk past somebody's house, count the number of windows they had. You didn't need to go inside their house. The infrastructure of tax collectors was already there. Yeah. And it was like, brilliant, genius, we'll do this. And then they found after about 50 years, people just started building houses with fewer windows. And then in the case of the poor people, the landlords just started building houses with no windows oh, at God. all. It tells and you so everything the, about the state and about people. Yeah, it's beautiful. And so, and then also all the outbreaks of disease, typhus and cholera and all the rest of it in the Industrial Revolution was made far worse by these damped, cramped, windowless dwellings. And for decades, everyone was, you know, it was scientifically proven. There were pamphlets were handed out, songs were sung. Everyone yeah. was going, get rid of this tax. It is making people ill. And the government persisted with it, persisted with it and persisted with it. And eventually, 250 years later, they got rid of it. And when they got rid of it, apparently the word is there were cries um, in Parliament of daylight robbery, daylight robbery. That's that's the story. Brilliant. Brilliant. Another version is it comes from highwaymen, you know, brazen theft, highwaymen. Um, but but daylight robbery is the one I'm going with. Definitely whetted my appetite for the book. And what was the other thing that you need? The other thing I want to plug is I've got this idea, Jeff, that 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 format is determined by the media that's available at the time. So, for example, albums used to be a big thing. And then when 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 uh, the internet came along and Spotify and iPods and iTunes and all the rest of it, the album as a form died a death. And I remember this with a great fondness, the, the concept albums of the 1970s. I've got this idea that, that and, and I love spoken word and music, and there's no sort of outlet for spoken word and music at the moment, but with this incredible boom in audio that's going on, 
people are rediscovering the power of ears now. So anyway, so I, I wrote this story about invisibility and it's a metaphor for Bitcoin. It's set 10 years in the future in North Devon, the most overlooked part of the UK. And these county lines, drugs dealers start using these coats of invisibility that they've bought off the dark net. And these coats of invisibility were made by techno um, activists who were defending against state and corporate invasion of their privacy. And so they invented these coats of invisibility. And this um, police officer discovers these coats and he tries to get to the root of what they are and who made them and so on. And it's very exciting. And it's all set to this fantastic rock soundtrack that a friend of mine wrote, brilliant guitarist. We did the show in Edinburgh to sort of develop it. And it's a bit like kind of War of the Worlds, but for invisibility in 2029, if that makes sense. And, and you know, every time somebody's invisible, this little theme tune comes in and it's just, I'm so proud of it, it's shit hot. And we're, we've released it as an audio book. <laughs> we can't barely shift a single copy of the bloody thing. Nobody well, let's gives try and shift a few. <laughs> we sold. We sold like 190, but the whole thing's a metaphor for Bitcoin. But yeah, but yeah, 190 total sales, but lots of five star reviews. But anyway, it's called the Shadow Punk Revolution, and and I'd love it if you're listening. Yeah, to the Shadow Punk. I think that, that my listenership are going to be exactly that sort of kind of thing. that would be right up their street. And listen, man, it's always great to have you. I look forward to having you on again in, in, in the future and uh, yeah, hopefully see you out gigging soon. Okay, so that was Mr. Dominic Frisbee, as ever. He, you know, he's always got interesting things to say. I love those interviews. I've done about you. I just, just feel a bit cleverer at the end of it. I always feel a bit smarter and probably likely to go and blow five grand on the, shock exchange, on the sock exchange. Yeah. It's this new thing. It's this new thing. Okay, this letter we had from. Oh, this was picking up on the uh, the wife thing about wives doing stuff to either annoy or, or disgust you, but not having the balls as modern men to say anything about it. So this is from. Well, let's just read the letter. It says Jeff, I was so pleased to hear about the bloke whose wife has started farting in front of him. My wife. <laughs> this is so odd. My wife has started throwing grapes in the air and catching them in her mouth in front of me. I don't think she ever thought that she could do this, and she is now surprised and very proud of her own newfound dexterity. However, I do not like it. <laughs> and see it as unladylike. I mean, yeah, uh, you're, you're entitled to see that. I, 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 it's, I mean, it's a strange thing to see as un, unladylike. I just think it's it's weird, like more like she just started doing that, and you know, I suppose girls, women generally don't do as much sports that they might have. Like a lot of women might have these unknown sporting abilities, and she's like going, "Hey," and maybe she thinks, "Hey, you're normally the one that you know can play fucking ping pong, or you know, or or like hit a, hit a cricket ball quite far." Well, look, look, guess who can catch a grape in their mouth? Uh, he says, "How can I let it be known that I do not wish to witness this?" And that's from Lord something or other. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you sound like a posh bloke. I mean, you sound, I don't know how posh you are, but this this sounds next level gentry. Um, I, I don't think you can. I, I think it's not, I, it's weird because I sort of see, it's not disgusting, it's just annoying the fuck out of you, isn't it? She, it's probably her excessive pride that's annoying you because you're sort of thinking, yeah, whatever, I've been catching, I don't fucking, you know what you need to do is you just need to raise the, <laughs> you need to raise the stakes is what you need to do. You need to just catch loads, just work on it. Just have them all in hand like a fucking juggler and just go, 
just do like 15, 20 in a row. And then just like with your mouth all full, just look at her, stare at her and just go, what? <laughs> and then, um, and then let's see if she still wants to play big boys games. What most people think. So a, a, a fictional fight. We don't get as many as these these days. We had a couple in the last couple of weeks. This is from Wayne in Dartford. Wayne, are you, I just can't. You, I always think that, like you are you are you sort of emailing me from the eighties, Wayne. I don't I don't feel like that name survived the turn of the millennia. Um, Who would win in a fight between Robert Peston and Laura Kunzberg? I, I mean, I feel like that's easy. I think that's Koonsberg all the way. I mean, Peston with his uh, Peston question. <laughs> you notice that Robert Peston where he does this thing where all the other journalists have said something and then he just says the same thing, but longer. And the rage that you feel as he's wasting your time and wasting everybody's time by building up to ask the same question. Laura Koonsberg, I mean, it is a bit of a stereotype because she's Scottish. I, can't, I couldn't tell. I mean, is she Glaswegian? She might be middle-class Glaswegian, but in the kind of grand scheme of class hardness, that still means that she's tougher than a man from the southeast. I think she'd smash the fuck out of him. I think that... I, I think that... He's quite wiry built, isn't he? And he's got one of those sort of tiny bodies with a big head. So I just think she'd, she'd zero in on his noggin and absolutely batter him. Okay, so that is the end of this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks again to Dominic Frisbee. We've got one um, we've got one three-pound patron this week. That is Bertie Harriman Smith. Um, who is this? Have I, have I suddenly become known in like the posh Tory community? Uh, we're gonna do a couple of reviews here, as ever. If you leave a five-star review, I will read it out. Um, so this is from Broadslider. Broadslider. Cool name. Uh, I still haven't had my Patreon name check, so I've got to break the habit of a lifetime and start leaving reviews of podcasts. But the thing is, you still haven't told me your name because your name here is Broadslider. Um, message me through the uh, the Patreon website and I'll do it too. I've been enjoying this podcast nearly a year now and find it restores a bunch of self-worth after all the aggro I receive on a daily basis for my having voted Brexit and they assume conservative. Self-worth. You made me feel good. My self-worth just went up there, Broadslider. Let's, let's hug it out. Uh, as well as some valid discussions around the issues from a fresh perspective that is ironically more liberal than a lot of my oh-so-called liberal acquaintances, Jeff gets some great laughs in too and is not frightened to criticise the Tories when they deserve it either. Well, look, I mean, they deserve it plenty. As I'm talking, this guy called Lee Kane, the head of uh, direction or whatever the fuck he is, um, he... He's, he's Lee Kane. I didn't even know anything about. It. I'm not going to pretend that I'm gemmed up on this, but Lee Kane just sounds like the hardest kid in school, doesn't he? he? Sounds like, yeah, you heard about Lee Kane. Lee Kane sounds like a lad that would just lob a packet of twenty Bensons on the uh, on his desk in front of him, and the teacher would just pretend that they hadn't seen it. Um, this is from Sheer Hulk. Uh, I continue to think this podcast is great and is much needed. Uh, I wasn't so impressed with the lo- you know the last episode where you didn't think that I pushed Eric hard enough, and like I say, a couple of people said that. This guy says, don't get me wrong, I think Trump is a total twat. So it seems, this is a really interesting point, even more scary that Democrats seem only to define themselves in relation to him. That is a fucking blinding point, Sheer Hulk. Yeah, that's going to be a problem. If all you think you need to do is be better than Trump, I don't think you're setting the bar high enough. Um, So he's got a challenge for me, which is uh, find a Democratic Party-orientated comedian to invite on the show who can talk about what he or she expects to see done in the US. 
during the next four years policy-wise. I mean, that is a great point. And he says he'll go full Patreon if he do. That is a great point. No one spoke about what Biden's got to do. And he's got to do it against the backdrop of no fucking money. Uh, well, cheers for that, Andrew. I think that's a good point, well argued. This is uh, from Ruben. He kind of echoes the point, again, about... Uh, Eric, that I not against Eric, but that I was very forgiving in terms of Biden. So yeah, I, I think you make some fair points there. Like I said, just Trump fucking the idea of Trump whining for the next twenty years was starting to get to me, and then I realised, oh yeah, there's another bunch of fucking whiners in this country, and they normally talk about Russia and fucking Cambridge Analytica. Uh, however, at least Jeff speaks with all sides of the political divide. I really recommend this podcast. Keep it up, Jeff. Well, cheers for that. That's from Ruben. And um, yeah, I, I think that the, the key is, is to get people on from different sides. And, you know, I try to be respectful of their views because one thing that annoys me, right, and, 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 and this is probably a, a valid point in terms of the way I approach guests, is that whenever I go on stuff, I like have to defend my point of view. You know, like, oh, so Jeff, you vote for Boris, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, but I, I was just—I sort of respect people's views. I just want to talk to them about their views. So I don't always see it as my point to challenge them. But you know, however, like you know, when Eric made a point about Trump being sheer force of personality, I made the point that it's the same with Obama shooting his three pointers. I think that those are the kind of points where I like to come in on. You know, those kind of little, those little filters that we don't realise that we apply when we're looking at it from the other side. Look, that is the end of the podcast of this week. It looks like it's going to be a bit of a longer one than usual. <laughs> that's 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 what she said. That's a longer one as in as in cock. That was a cock joke. I'm ending the podcast with a cock joke. What most Yeah, 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 yeah.